Hello, and you're listening to Movies We Dig, the podcast where we watch movies about uh, the ancient world and we talk about them. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. We're two nerdy academics. I study Greek and Latin literature and ancient texts. And I study Greek and Roman uh, materials. I'm an archaeologist. Yeah. So yeah, this is, like I said, a podcast where we are both sort of big movie fans and we really like talking about movies and a lot of the movies that we watch or that sort of come out intersect with sort of our professional spheres, for lack of a better word. So this isn't really like a, like my, our goal is not to do like a, a movie where we sort of pick apart a film for its historical inaccuracy and just kind of nitpicking about all the little things to get right or wrong. That's boring. We are, yeah, we are going to be doing sort of some of that, but we're really kind of interested in sort of just these movies relationship with the source material, thinking about them because they're films that so we should really talk about them as films. How do they envision ancient Greece or Rome? And then, uh, yeah, what, what do we, who sort of happen to know a lot about these things, what, what do we think of it? So we kind of debated for a long time about what our first episode should be, and we decided ultimately to go with 2004's Troy, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, because we kind of didn't want to start sort of too big, but not sort of too small, because there's some obvious, you know, big, looming movies the sort of sandal sort of genre. But I think this is going to be an interesting case study because I just sort of, I personally have like a lot of thoughts about this movie. <laughs> but first, we're just going to sort of hit it, hit it with our sort of initial impressions. You know, I have a little notebook of hot takes. But, but Eli, yeah, so what do you think? Do you dig this movie? I do dig this movie. I dig this movie very much. Um, and I have since I first saw it. I saw this movie in theaters when I was a teeny tiny 14 year old I think yeah and my dad took me so it's rated R and I could not get into the theater by myself and I bullied my father into taking me to see this movie because I was so excited nice. um, I enjoyed it the first round I have watched it since that first time a few times and when we rewatched it for this I have to say I, I dig this movie uh, I think it has a very atmospheric fun different way of telling the story that I appreciate very much. Yeah, generally, yeah. I think I did this movie too. I think, now that you say it, I was going to say that I thought I saw this movie in theaters, but you're right, I would have been like 15 or something like that when it yeah. came out. So I, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I did see I remember my freshman year English teacher, we, we were reading the, the Odyssey, I think, in like English class in high school, and we like watched clips from this movie. But I also, I didn't really, I, if you were to ask me, I would have thought this movie was PG-13, but it's not. It's got a, it's got a hard R. I know. I, I looked that up because I was like, why is this rated R? And it is for gore, I think. It's violence and gore. Yeah. Um, not as much nudity, although there is some of that. And there is somewhat rapey situations. But... There's like a, I think there's, in my sort of digging around, there's a director's cut that came out like a couple yes. of years after the movie. that Which I as believe... Far as, is more. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just more of that. Like there's yeah. more, there's more like the battles are a little bit longer and a lot more sort of graphic. But yeah, so I mean, I, I have like so many kind of thoughts on this movie as sort of someone who's read the Iliad. My, one of my favorite like thing that I noticed is if you look at the IMDb page for this movie, there's two writers that they're both sort of interesting <laughs> for different reasons. Oh, yes. Um, one of them is Homer. He's credited as a writer. And you can, you, <laughs> Homer poem. has an IMDb page. And which they got, is yeah, he's, amazing. His date of birth is like eight, they give it as like 850 BC, which is sort They of, gave him a date of birth? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's like the little formula for like the, all the biography 
And oh so, my gosh. But yeah, which is also sort of funny. We could get into this later, but like Homer probably isn't a real person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has an IMDb. He's credited as a writer on like a couple of movies. He's also I credited- can see that. Oh my God, I just looked that up. Oh, brother, where art thou? <laughs> yes, that, that I think is pretty funny. And that's that definitely movie we, gotta talk, we should talk about it. Oh, he's yes. Great. Yeah, he, he's also credited for the Netflix show that just came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other writer that I was surprised by was David Benioff of Game of Thrones fame. Yes, yeah, I, I, I think also saw that, and it made a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> yeah, it does make it because I think my sort of my sort of my hot take, my first sort of hot take is this movie is like a snapshot of Hollywood, of like a particular like crystallized Hollywood action film circa two thousand four. Like, there's like tropes and conventions that they kind of fit the Iliad. Or the Trojan War cycle, sort of at large, into, sure. um, and yeah, I think like the, the so the first thing I, I, I my first question is just like the tricks of adapting a work like the Iliad or the Trojan War, because at first it's like a very attractive kind of thing. You you know you seems like like you could see like a producer or somebody being like this would make a great movie. It's the original yes. epic. There's big heroes and battles and a lot of iconic stuff. But yeah, but there's also like a lot of deceptive little things I think that, that would be like actually makes it kind of hard to adapt. And one How is many that, years that the yeah, exactly. war goes on. <laughs> yeah, because the the Iliad itself sort of like general background is a sort of originally an oral poem sort of written probably or composed, I should say, in the sort of 800s, 700s BC, something like that by maybe single author or collections of authors or groups of people over many years that kind of was put together and uh, organized into books and then attributed to a guy named Homer who, who's now got the IMDb page. But the Iliad itself is actually, when, when people think of the Iliad, there's a lot of, and I talk about, I talked about this in one of my classes, that a lot of the things you think about when you think about the Trojan War aren't in the Iliad, like the Trojan horse, not in the yep. Iliad, um, Achilles' heel, not in yeah. the Iliad. The actual um, sack of the city. <laughs> yep, not in the, 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 not Iliad, in the is, Iliad. And in a lot of ways, I always think the Iliad kind of gets right what I think like some of these movies or other projects about the Church and War sort of miss because there's this compulsion, and I completely understand it because you got to like give your audience some context that uh, the Trojan War is this 10 year epic cycle, and the Iliad is just like a one sliver of it because the Iliad is really, it's only, it covers a couple of days towards in like, I think the ninth or 10th year of the war. It's a very sort of tight sequence of events. Basically the basic plot, for lack of a better word, is Achilles gets into a big fallout with Agamemnon, who's kind of the big king. And then Achilles stops fighting. And then that sort of leads to almost disaster for the, for the Greeks. And then Achilles' friend, we'll call him, Patroclus gets killed by the Trojan Hector. And then he re-enters the war. So but yeah, so that's like a very tight, story it's a singular contained story but but there's this compulsion to sort of tell the whole war sort of from start to finish yeah well there's so much that sort of goes into even before the war starts there's this huge mythological background to everything that happens even before the greeks get to troy mm-hmm. and so it's so hard to try to say where do we like start that and where do we stop that yeah story has, and then it keeps going of course mm-hmm. like all of these people you know, continue their lives, a lot of them, if they don't die, going back to Greece and like 
things that happen to them in this huge, big mythological narrative that continues. So yeah, where do you start and where do you stop? Yeah, and then in this, one of the things I kind of was reminded when I revisited this movie last night, and actually, I had, and actually partially this morning, was how long it is. So long. Yeah, clocks in at a good sort of. This is the 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 original. I think the theatrical edit clocks in at like a two hours forty something minutes. Yeah, um, it's insane. It's a long movie. I had to do it. I had to do it in two parts. Yeah. And so like, yeah, but like if you were to say you were going to do an Iliad movie or a Trojan War movie, where would you start? I don't know. I do think in my rewatch this time, I was almost kind of bored with the movie after Hector dies. Yes. It's like that is such a dramatic and interesting climax to the story that's sort of everything that happens after. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of done. Like, I don't really, um, I don't and, really care. <laughs> and there's like 40 minutes of movie left after that. Yeah, it's a huge amount. Because he dies, and then there's the whole. Because yeah, really, if we were to sort of end it where, where the, where Homer ends it, it end the the last sort of line of the Iliad is is actually I've got it right here, but it's about it's like and then they buried Hector, um, yeah. the breaker of horses, which is funny because that line works its way into the movie. There's like a couple. One of the, there's like, clearly I think Benioff read, or at least in part read sort of part of the Iliad because he picked some choice lines to get in there, like. Which I love. Mm-hmm. There's some good ones. Yeah, like there's a part where uh, Achilles, it's the ones that, and you can kind of tell because they sound like, like most of the rest of the dialogue sound is like pretty it's, standard. Yeah, for sure. Like modern English. And then yeah. there's parts where Achilles like calls Agamemnon like a, like a sack of wine. Mm-hmm. Or Agamemnon says, like, of all the men the gods love, I hate him the most. Mm-hmm. That's, that's straight that's, out of Homer. I, I feel like, yeah, is that like, it's almost like a fan service for people like us. I'm gonna talk, I want to oh, talk yeah. about the biggest moment of fan service later. But, but yeah, so Eli, so you also mentioned the, the whole background of the movie. But the other sort of problem, well, I can think of a couple sort of problems with adapting a story like this. And one of them is, what do you do with gods? Because in the in the poem, gods are sort of they're they're constantly flying in and out of the story, and they're having their little councils, and they're they're jumping down to earth to to influence the war, sort of one way or the other. And this movie kind of goes one way that's just just says get rid of all of that. It's yeah. treat it like this is a historical event, and yeah, just 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 sort of literalize everything. I do appreciate the sort of take of playing it like straight almost of like this is a how plausible is this historically? Like, how could we tell this in a historically-ish accurate way? Which I think they do on a few different levels. One being they talk about the gods and they have this sort of effect on people, certainly. People claim that they are doing something because of um, their belief or their fear of gods, but also the sort of wider reasons that Agamemnon is this like power hungry conqueror and he just needs a reason to go after Troy and it just happens to be his brother's wife who escaped, left, kidnapped, whatever. So they sort of smooth out a lot of those edges as well of like how would this legitimately or maybe seem more legitimate as a reason to go after one lady. Yeah. Um, So I, I kind of appreciated that as more focus on the human characters and the human aspect of it because i feel like we don't see that as much in retellings of homer yeah and, so and that like, was kind of cool yeah and like i think like one of like i like um, to play like sort of 
well, not devil's advocate, but like to go one way or the other is like, if you have the gods sort of doing too much, then your human characters kind of just be, can become like just puppets because the gods are pulling everyone's string. And that's not, that doesn't work as a story. You need people to sort of make choices and act on their own motivation. But then else, because also like they, they, we talked about kind of, I mentioned that I, my, my impression of this movie is it's like sort of fitting Homer into a Hollywood model. And one of the things that they kind of smooth, like you said, they sort of smooth out a lot of character motivations to make it a little bit like Agamemnon's just this like power hungry warlord. Whereas yeah. like if you, when you read the, like part of the, one of the sort of first hurdles for reading the Iliad or talking about the Iliad is like sort of understanding the like cultural context. Cause like these, these heroes and then sort of, it's probably written in, or composed in the sort of 800s, 700s BC-ish, but it's set in a sort of much older world, the sort of Greeks themselves, they give it a date of something like 1250 BC. But these people live in these sort of complex social networks of they're trying to sort of accumulate both sort of material wealth and then also sort of status. Everyone in the Iliad is constantly obsessed with like what they look like to their, or like how they appear to their friends. Like they're always asking, like whenever somebody has like some big deliberation, they always like talk to themselves because everything in the Iliad is basically spoken. Um, Something like 60% of the poem is like direct quotes. (laughs) And they, they always like to, and like one of the, whenever they're like deliberating something, they're always like, what would my, what would other people say about me if I did or didn't do blank or whatever? Like there's this weird sort of like, social dynamic that motivates people that's just it's different from sort of yeah. modern more mores i feel like everything is much more focused on social capital and how mm-hmm. it moves between people um outside of person your personal view of yourself it's definitely outside views of you yeah <laughs> and, and i think things like agamemnon and achilles uh fight mm-hmm. really it's hard to uh, translate into mm-hmm. one a movie, but also to a more modern social context. Yeah, and one where you're just kind of going for like romantic action. Yeah, you know, sword fighting kind of thing. It's it's you know the idea of like like the 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 the, the cultural significance of Agamemnon taking away Achilles's prizes or or, or or whatever is is kind of like we'd be like, well, why does we? You know, I think most audiences are like, why does he you know give a crap about that? Which leads me to kind of my next point, which is also like, oh, another sort of the problems for the adaptation is just sort of the characters sort of themselves. And, and sort of this movie wants to make Achilles like an, a, a sort of very standard sort of action hero, which is why they kind of dwell, I think, so much on like the romance aspect with him and Perseus, um, which I think we we're going to have to talk about. But then... Yes. <laughs> Like, yeah, and but but there's sort of another problem there is that Achilles, like, at least in the Iliad, Achilles spends most of the book doing nothing and just kind of group, like, just kind of moping in his tent. He doesn't actually come yeah. out to fight until book, like, 20 out of 24. Yeah. Um, and then he's kind of, like, he's, like, kind of a jerk. You're, like, he's kind of a dick all the time. Yeah, he's whiny. He, like, sits and cries alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not a compelling main character in so many ways and i feel like most retellings want to make him either a villain or the main protagonist and yeah it's so hard to do either of those things with mm-hmm. achilles yeah like he so like sort of sort of by contrast the like more recent the netflix uh miniseries um, mm-hmm. which i think sort of skirts the the 
the length problem we were talking about, break, breaking it up into sort of several yeah. episodes, which I think is sort of a more natural medium for a, a work like The Iliad because it's just very big and has a huge yeah. cast of characters. I think that lends itself to more of, but particularly now, like in the post Game of Thrones world we live in, you know, a longer sort of serialized epic like that kind of works for a sure. little better. But in that, I don't know, you, but we, we, you've seen it, right? Yes, I haven't actually seen the last episode. Okay, I, it's, I saw it when it came out, so I'm, I'm like fuzzy on it. There's a lot of the middle that I kind of forgot, but but the the one thing that I kind of got hung up on was that they they decided to make he, he, uh, Paris and Helen kind of this like the the anchor yes. points for the show, which is another like interesting choice because for sure they're harder for like two reasons. One is like Paris kind of even in the Iliad is kind of the worst and they kind of get it's that in, in this version and orlando bloom himself kind of complained about like his character was like too whiny and pathetic and kind of like wimpy that worked for me though i was like that that's who paris is he's uh, whiny and wimpy and gets his butt kicked all the time yeah um, his fam- his, hector there's like there's a scene where hector basically goes back to the city in, in the iliad and basically just chews paris out for like it's like yeah. all being his fault and being like a complete letdown. <laughs> um, so like, there's a lot of sort of, that's a lot to, of weight to put on a character like Paris. And then the other problem is if you want to sort of dwell on Helen, who's a character that's like, like really sort of um, like ripe for, uh, for like a good character exploration because she's in this like this weird conflict and, you know, yeah. everybody. And even in sort of ancient literature, they're constantly having these debates about like the extent to which Helen should or can be blamed or what is she yeah. doing and she's she's put in an incredibly awkward position but for a sort of action movie the problem is once she gets to troy and they, this happened in the shows there's basically nothing for there's helen nothing to do for her to do which i was kind of impressed that they did include her like mini escape mm-hmm. which isn't that sometimes included in versions of the aeneid mm. like virgil has written yeah a little part but it's aeneas going after helen yeah and some people think that it's like a later edition or something yeah maybe um, and it's but it's sort of like that scene is like she tries to sneak away tries to go back feels some sort of guilt mm-hmm. which is a like maybe the only thing that they can give this character to do now is oh i bet she would feel bad mm-hmm. like that's it that's really all yeah <laughs> that we can uh. do is feel crappy about it yeah. I don't know. It lays very flat, but it's it's still, I guess, something. She's slightly more than one-dimensional. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I guess also, like, the, the thing I also should have maybe could have started, it's just the context of, of this is a very sort of 2004 sword and sandal, but it's really coming directly off the heels of, like, the biggest sort of ancient movie ever. Gladiator only came out, like, five, four or five years prior to it. Yeah, because I think like part of them with Gladiator, which we're gonna have to do a whole thing on later, but oh, yeah. that you know, for the people always associate the kind of quote unquote sword and sandal with sort of classic Hollywood in like the '60s, um, and then by the late '90s, people were like the genre, the genres tapped out, like you know, like they that had its day, and westerns had their day. We're sort of moving in a different direction, and then Billy Scott comes out with Gladiator, and it was like, oh, and then yeah, there's like a best picture. Yeah. Uh, and so like, there's a lot of movies, like Troy is exactly a movie where it's like, it's trying to like, sort of ride in Gladiator's wake. And even just down to stuff like the music is a lot of um, that, like, that like, uh, the, like all the yep, music is yep. like some woman sort of like, <laughs> like, 
like going like ah. Yep. Um, yep. I will say like I did. Trope. Oh yeah, but I really enjoyed the music um, during battle sequences, especially Hector and Achilles. I think yeah. that was done so well, mm -hmm. um, and I like really just recognized it because I was talking about it with Nick, my husband. Um, I was like this, you know, this battle scene. I remember it being awesome, and I watched it again. It was great, and so we just went on YouTube, like let's just watch the battle scene for fun, mm -hmm. and it was on YouTube with a different soundtrack, and I was like. Oh this is weird. And I like went back to my actual um, digital copy and I was like, yeah, it's totally different and is so much better with that music. It's like that little drum beat that's almost mm -hmm. like a heartbeat or something. It just makes it very mm -hmm. intimate and scary and way better. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I'll just, just go. I think we'll start um, things that like work for you in this movie. Like what? What? What works when you when you have like fond memories of of, of Troy two thousand four? Because it it kind of got it didn't it did it clearly it didn't sort of have Gladiator's success no. critically or commercially and kind of I don't know it was the legacy of this movie is, is very strange in sort of un, weird unpredictable ways. Yeah, but I actually oddly think that the cast works for me pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Eric Bana as Hector. I think that was brilliant. Uh, I've already said I like Orlando Bloom as a wimpy little bitchy Paris that's yeah. fine with me. I think that's um, great. <laughs> Speaking also of like this movie trying to be other movies, I was, I was watching it when like Orlando Bloom, because Orlando Bloom right now, he's he's hot off Lord of the Rings. He's like mm -hmm. a new sort of heartthrob for lack of a better word. And he is a pirate. Has pirates come out yet? Ooh, I forget what year Pirates came out. So he's like, so he's right around, he's about to have another for Oh, yeah. 2003. 2003. Yeah. So he just had Pirates. So he's at like sort of the top of his. Yeah. So I imagine like him as like just thinking in his like career moves is like, God, I wish I wasn't Paris because that like <laughs> not the look I'm trying to cultivate for my, <laughs> you know, my brand. Yeah. For lack yeah. of a better word. But I do kind of like, he is like, like he has that like sort of punchableness. There's like the scene where he duels Menelaus. And then he just kind of like wimps out and runs back to to his brother, and you're just like, God, you're the worst. Yeah, and I think like Menelaus and Agamemnon, uh, Brian Cox and uh, Brendan Gleeson were <laughs> so good. They are like mm -hmm. grumpy and gnarly, and especially like contrasted with Orlando Bloom as this wimpy little like kid, mm -hmm. that works so well for me. I love that dynamic, and I even do not hate Brad Pitt as Achilles. Mm -hmm. sort of like you know does hate famous I'm, dude <laughs> i don't hate this, it this is another interesting i mean i'm i'm okay i like i like you i really like eric banna's hector i think he yes. kind of nails it he like hector also i think is probably the i think if Top if character. you were to if you were to if i were to like make my own if like hollywood hit me up <laughs> but to give me like 175 million dollars and and the chance <laughs> i would make this movie i would make a movie just about hector because that's oh, i think the yeah. iliad kind of revolves around him, I think, a lot more than it does Achilles, because it sort of ends with his funeral. For sure. Uh, and he's also, like, at least for, like, the audience, from an audience standpoint, he has much more, like, relatable sort of problems and goals, because he, you know, he's just trying to be good, sort of, by, by most metrics. I'm Brad Pitt, I'm sort of ambivalent about this is you know, who does does not like brad pitt in this movie is brad pitt i've seen some of that <laughs> he yeah, like totally he, regrets it <laughs> because he, he he frames it as like he got talked into this role he was kind of at a weird career because he was sort of he was basically a 
hitting like peak stardom power and he was kind of like trying to decide which direction he was going to go in mm-hmm. and he kind of he had just done something with david fincher and then did this just kind of thought it was too i mean a lot of things he's like he talked about i think he talked about like being in the center of the frame a lot and then afterwards like there's you can see him move like all of the movies after this like if you go to rotten tomatoes the the average the aggregate sort of critical review for all this movies kind of goes up because he starts sort of picking his roles a little more carefully and going for more like Coen Brothers films or like yeah, more yeah. cerebral. Not that he like never does an action or like a big Hollywood movie again, but they're they're more, he's not like a sort of cart, like sort of cut and paste action yeah. hero. Like like someone like, not to, not to shed light on The Rock, <laughs> but I was going to say like The Rock, not to diminish The Rock, but sort of that kind of like handy action. Sure. That's, that's not Brad yeah. Pitt. No. There's some other like fun casting stuff because there's there's mm-hmm. some a lot of like big name actors like Peter O'Toole. Yeah, who is great. Mm-hmm. Really, I like they they talk about like some of the like Eric Bana like changes his because he's Australian, so he changes his accent to have a more sort of English accent. Peter O'Toole just talks like Peter O'Toole, <laughs> and I think they're they're like there's nothing we can do about that. He's no, do that. And, I wouldn't want him to change. It's like that's yeah. part of why it was um, so good. <laughs> so yeah, but what 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 do we think about? What about Helen? Because that's also a sort of, that's like a, that's a tough It's a touchy subject, right? It's like, how do you cast the person who's supposed to be like the most beautiful woman in the world? Yeah. Which apparently the the director, uh, Wolfgang Peterson, originally didn't want to cast a Helen. He wanted to like, I don't know how that would have worked, but he wanted, there was going to be no Just doesn't exist. Or she just doesn't appear or something. That Um, would actually be really interesting. Yeah, because he was such a non-character anyway. Yeah, she, she's a, she's a tricky character though, um, because she also has this massive sort of post Iliad legacy. Yeah. Where, like I said, there's wrote one poem where he blamed Helen for the Trojan War, and then as the story goes, he was struck blind for impiety because after her, <laughs> her death, Helen was actually transformed into a god along with her brothers. So we're told. And <laughs> so to make up for the, the the basically libel, he wrote another poem exonerating Helen for for sort of causing all that problem which yeah but another sort of he went with a then a sort of unknown actor Diane Kruger who also coincidentally would later co-star with Brad Pitt again in Glorious Bastards. Glorious Bastards. That is I was like I recognize her. Yeah. Um, Another sort of relative unknown was Rose Brynn. Yes. Uh, He's definitely been in many more things. Yeah. And various uh, things. So originally, Kira Knightley auditioned for that part. Really? I have a big, I don't know, I have a big bone to pick with all treatments of Briseis, usually. Yeah. Um, And I still think while they tried to make this, like, romantic and consensual, um, it was still very rapey in this movie. The whole... (laughs) It's first like like a two day case of Stockholm syndrome. Like oh, she, yeah. she, I did. I forgot how quickly the sort of romance enters. Though I thought it was like much more later in the movie, but it's basically like right after he gets he gets her back, pretty soon, yeah. like a day later, mm-hmm. and then then they're they're getting intimate with a very strange scene where she's gonna kill him, but she, he's also her captor and is like very sort of abuse. The whole thing is like bad it's, it's a very there's no way this would fly in a like no. a, in, the, in the modern like a post me too or like a modern climate because also just her treatment throughout the whole movie is 
kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit. Absolutely. And I feel like I didn't sort of see that in 2004 as a tiny little baby 14 year old. Yeah. Like it didn't feel that problematic, which is obviously the problem. But I do think that after having like read the Iliad and read a lot of reception pieces on like Briseis herself mm-hmm. and as a character who actually has lines like later, mm-hmm. but is sort of this abstract gift mm-hmm. for most of the story. Yeah. Um, it's sort of strange to try to talk about these male characters like using the word rape or saying that Achilles is a rapist um, because we don't want to do that. Like we never want to have that connotation with these people who are supposed to be the protagonists, supposed to be the heroes. Um, But I think it's almost more interesting when we like recognize Mm -hmm. those things and how in the Iliad, there isn't like the Greeks aren't the bad guys and the Trojans aren't the good guys or the other way around. It's just Mm -hmm. like, these are two groups of people who are brutally murdering each other yeah sorry i'm swearing (laughs) uh that's okay i'll bleep it out later cool (laughs) or maybe i won't i don't know kids aren't gonna listen to this no one's gonna listen to this yeah yeah one of the notes i just wrote down my hot takes was just like masculinity question because the masculinity like like you said it is like sort of of an era it's a very Mm -hmm. um before like the idea of like toxic masculinity was kind of in the the zeitgeist because this is like like most of the characters, all of the men, like pretty much the only, all emotions kind of manifest as rage. They're sort of physically abusive. Yep. It's just, yeah, it's a very like, and the, it's sort of, it's most obvious in the Perseus kind of subplot. And yeah, and also, oh, my, the, speaking of a particular sort of shit masculinity, when they really double down on letting us know that Achilles is the straightest dude to ever walk the earth. Um, so I had this thought when I rewatched this. I was like, wouldn't it have been way more interesting if Patroclus and Achilles were like this badass warrior couple that they mm-hmm. like were together and like that was very clear. Cause then when Hector kills Patroclus, it's like that much more dramatic and horrifying and sort of I don't know, makes a little bit more sense other than my baby cousin that I take care yeah. of. This like... movie really puts a lot of weight on how much we love our cousins in a way that it kind of comes out of left field. And I think at the time it was like, that was an odd choice. There's a lot of, there's like some weird changes in this movie that, that I'm like, why do they do that? They, but... they made Patroclus younger, right? It's like, yeah. he's actually supposed to be older than Achilles. Yeah. And... There's, so yeah, there's a huge long tradition of it's, it's not sort of, if it's in the Iliad, it's very subliminal, but this huge long tradition of Patroclus and, and Achilles being sort of romantically involved. Like they have a sort of like lovers dynamic where one's generally the older, more experienced partner and one's a little bit younger. And this is, we're going to probably talk a lot about a recurring theme I, su- I suspect is going to be a lot of sort of treatments of the past, whether it's sort of academic or, or fictional or whatever, tend to kind of say a lot more about the current times Absolutely. in which they're written than the actual past. Because even that, a lot of the sort of homosexual romantic relationship is a product of kind of like this century Athens or, or, or other cultures where, where those kind yeah. of practices were pretty widespread. But yeah, like, like, and it's funny, it's also just like the, the comparison between the sort of recent Netflix where, where they basically are that, they're this sort of this yeah. couple, they're like an open couple fighting together in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my problems with this movie, if I could change one thing, they revolve around Patroclus. Um, yeah. Because there's parts I think that, that 
or, or odd changes. Not really. I'm not really ever bothered when they change stuff in the source material, but it's odd changes that also kind of become big plot holes. Like mm -hmm. the one I wrote down a question at one point in my notes was like, if Achilles is gonna let Patroclus fight and he's just gonna like he wants to protect him or like wants to keep him away, why did he bring him to the war at all? Yeah, um, why is he even there? Yeah, like why was Patroclus there if Achilles is gonna let him fight and is he gonna? like let him do and he's just, it's just he's, it sounds like Achilles is just asking for this kid to like do exactly what he does yeah and the way yeah they set up Patroclus also a breakout role for Garrett Hedlund of he's been Tron. like bit things right he was in the Tron movie oh. other things. I also I could I kind of totally confuse him with that. Jensen Eccles a lot oh I see that yeah of, of supernatural fame mm -hmm. but yeah he's kind of this 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 sort of hopeful enthusiastic kid and then but even like I completely understand, and well, not that I agree, but I understand in 2004 why they didn't want to go with with a sort yes. of gay lead in there. <laughs> it's a very sort of telling of telling of the times. But then, I mean, even if if they had just been sort of friends, I feel like that would have made a lot more sense. Because in the in the Iliad, actually, Achilles gives Patroclus his armor. He's just like, yeah. I'm not going to fight because I'm still mad. But like, you go but do you do should. whatever you do yeah. whatever you want. Like. Patroclus goes out and he gets killed and then that brings Achilles back into the fight and redirects the anger that he had for Agamemnon onto Hector, which for me, I think makes sort of has more narrative kind of pull because it's then Achilles won, like it, it, Patroclus is dead as a direct result of a choice Achilles made. Yeah. Sort of makes the grief a little bit more sort of poignant. And then it also explains why Patroclus is sort of there at all and that he's sort of an equally capable warrior and yeah. things like that. So yeah, and Pat, yeah, the Patroclus thing, like the baby cousin, is just it just doesn't work for me at all. It's probably my least favorite part, besides yeah. besides Perseus. Yeah, my other I have a couple of mini little bones to pick, um, <laughs> just because as like a fan of the Iliad, because the one the one character I never get to see and I always love from from Homer is Diomedes. Who's oh my god, like, I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, because in the in the poem, Diomedes is this sort of young. He's almost like. I'm a little skewed because, like I said, he's kind of my favorite character. But he's like, oh, he's almost like Achilles, but if Achilles were like better, cool. yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, like he's he's sort of like Diomedes is kind of always there. He's like pretty solid throughout. He he, there's no real pro. Like he he kind of, you know, he has one of the most famous sort of epic long what we call in the biz an Aristea, this kind of big long jazz solo fight sequence where he kills a bunch <laughs> of people and he gets he even gets to fight Ares and, and you know and he has like a couple him. of yeah he gets a couple badass moments and I think he's just like a he's just like a good like foil to the other heroes because he's not as like he's not as like wily or tricky as oh we left one big one big person oh. out of our cast list. We'll <laughs> circle back to that in a second. For sure, but he's for also sure. yeah Diomedes is like he's like a kid he's young, he's good, he's but he's also kind of like inexperienced. But the big, yeah, the other, Sean Bean as Odysseus. That I also enjoyed. I like his, a smaller role, but he seems to like, you know, mm -hmm. do it with such ease. Sort of just like Sean also, Bean is Achilles, or is pulling, Odysseus. <laughs> pulling from the Lord of the Rings tree again. Oh, um, yeah. He, I'm ambivalent about Odysseus in this movie. My kind of, my my bone to pick is that he's like a really good case of he's really, he's like a like a case study for show don't tell because mm. he constantly if people are like saying like Odysseus you're so tricky he's like I've got my tricks and you've got your sword but we never really yeah. see him be all that tricky he doesn't um, really do anything or eloquent like yeah in in the sort of Iliad he's the sort of he's I think another potential for 
like a main character because mm-hmm. I think he's got a really sort of compelling arc. Because in Homer, his general sort of motivation is just, I, I, I have to get home. I'm going to do whatever it takes to end this war. I'll say what I need to say. I'll do what I need to do. And it might get dirty, and, and you know, I, I might have to play a little, play a little foul. But I just have to get home. And then there's a lot of motivations because he has to go because things are going very poorly for him back on back on Ithaca, and also yeah. set ourselves up for serialization. We can get that sequel <laughs> in in the Odyssey because that's what that's where our heads have to be at. But yeah, he's just kind of there in this movie. Um, he doesn't do anything, so it's no. kind of nice. It's like, oh yeah, big name character, but we don't get to see him. Yeah, he, he exists to deliver a monologue at the very end of the movie. That's his. That's his purpose. <laughs> um, that's his sort of narrative function. Other than that, like I feel like you could just edit him out, yeah. and it would change very little. But yeah, he's he's a good. I I, I kind of liked actually what they did with Odysseus in in the Netflix, where you kind of get a little bit more mm-hmm. of like because Odysseus has like a sort of there's like a sadness and weariness to him. Yeah, because he's kind of and like this is especially the case in, in the sequel that we're gonna we're gonna pitch, the Odyssey, where he takes ten extra years to get home. And he has a real rough Poor time. Guy. Yeah, Poor guy. Yeah. Um, long suffering that's his thing but yeah he's kind of the desk he's in a very sort of precarious position because he's sort of a king of a very small country and you know he doesn't have a he doesn't have the sort of wealth or might that other people like like agamemnon has he's got his tricks he's very he's a you know a smooth talker you know can he you can kind of ride that line with him being sort of endearing and likable because you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's got jokes <laughs> or he should have jokes that's another that yeah this movie humorless no jokes. it really is no is, jokes at all yeah which again like weighty i think that that might be something that the ancients would have agreed with they're sort of you know this this genre is sort of <laughs> is, is serious yeah. by nature but yeah this is like kind of a joyless movie i think it's interesting i've heard the argument before that the actual text of the iliad like the battle sequences are so horrifically graphic Mm-hmm. that it's almost silly and that it's like entertaining in like watching a horror movie kind of a way yeah it's it's um, that like it's that gore it's like yeah. tarantino level like there's there's yeah. bits there's extended sequences where guys get like they're they're stabbed in the face and the eyeball comes out on the tip of the like, spear it's very wild blood on like the, mm-hmm. their friends behind them and yeah yeah it's it's pretty crazy so i I sort of get that this movie is definitely like gory and there's blood splattering and there's like swords <laughs> flying and like sticking into guys' helmets, but like I don't know that it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I can no, see no. like Tarantino does have like a certain comicalness to a mm-hmm. lot of his horror, but this or, this was not that. I just watched recently. I watched um, Total Recall uh, and. Oh. I think, um, um, Paul Verhoeven, like Robocop and, and yeah. Starship Troopers have that mm-hmm. kind of, they have that same energy where it's like, yes. the violence is so ridiculous and so over the top. And with the Verhoeven films, it's because they're kind of largely satirical, particularly like Robocop is, is the one that's kind of, I think, the, the best satire device. But Total Recall 2 and, and Starship Troopers were, it, it's kind of like, those movies are like send-ups of American action films. Yes. Um, I just recently watched Starship Troopers for the first time. Oh yeah, um, no, 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 no context for for this podcast, but we can just talk about because I have all these thoughts about Starship Troopers. <laughs> um, I have like a list of just like my little. I could go on and like just my little weird bones to pick about this movie. Well, I have some things that I like. I can say some good things. Yeah, um, we'll it. on the on the material side. So everybody like from 
Here to the Moon was talking about how inaccurate all of the material things were in mm -hmm. Troy and how like all of the armor is from different time periods and swords are from different time periods and like Troy itself, the city today in Turkey doesn't look like this. Like it's, mm -hmm. um, they shot in Malta um, yep. and in Mexico, <laughs> which are very deserty. And that part of Turkey is actually pretty green. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, there's all of these inaccuracies, but I really appreciate the atmospheric use of so much archeological material. So mm -hmm. the city itself, looks like Knossos, the Minoan site on Crete. It has these Minoan columns that are really fat at the top and really skinny at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we're not on Crete, then, but uh, it's right, atmospheric. Right next to them, you get that, like there's a classic <laughs> statue from sort of the seven, eight hundreds, the, the Kuroi, yeah. where these guys are standing with their arms. Again, like a bit, smiles. Yeah, yeah. a bit anachronistic, but like, you're right, all right. I, so, I tried to look if yeah. there was like a consultant I couldn't I find couldn't, one. Yeah, I couldn't find anything. There was, I saw, I, I watched the whole credits, like, start to finish. <laughs> and they, I, I found they had an art researcher, but I, I don't know what that was about. Um, but even in, like, smaller things, like, um, whenever somebody has a dagger, it looks mm -hmm. like an actual Bronze Age dagger that we have in mm -hmm. a museum, which is kind of cool. The jewelry that Helen wears is jewelry that was found by Heinrich Schliemann at the oh, site. Oh, I was about to say, like, how, long, how long is it going to be before we bring up Heinrich Schliemann? I mean, um, we can talk a little bit about it, but like the jewelry that even like Hector in Paris wear jewelry, which is mm -hmm. kind of interesting and cool. And when they're in Sparta, the like sort of belly dancer types that come out are mm. Minoan snake yeah. goddesses. <laughs> one before we get to the, the Schliemann, but, but the one thing that I kind of also made a mental note is like, this movie takes some very uh, imaginative, like, leaps with like how close stuff is to the sea um oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. i just remember like there's like port of sparta <laughs> which kind of made me chuckle because sparta is sort of famously like dead center in <laughs> in greece it's very far from the coast similar with it with mycenae although we don't actually see mycenae like a very very famous archaeological site with a very sort of iconic look it's got these big gates with these kind of lions over them that are super famous but we actually they go to mycenae at one point but we don't ever really it's see it's like that. an interior right they don't yeah uh, it's just yeah. like a sort of generic palace but then again there's another shot where they're like walking up and they're like the sea's like right there and i was like ha. Um, <laughs> but yeah i mean also but, but troy it's it's because troy itself is an archaeological site that you can go to as a fun and fact Actually, the town, um, I'm going to butcher the name, but... Chinakale. Uh, Chinakale, yeah. Has the horse from the movie. I've seen uh, it. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. So when, when Nick studied abroad in Turkey when we were babies in undergrad, I went to visit him over Thanksgiving one year. And that was like the one thing I wanted to do. He was in Istanbul and I said, I want to go to Troy. That was go like see the horse, not the request. actual site. I want to go see the, the, <laughs> the horse from the 2004 movie Troy. No, uh, so like to get to the site, you have to like get on one of these buses that will take you up there. And the mm -hmm. bus played the movie like on the little video player in the bus and then drove through town to go past the horse. Oh, I'm sure the drivers must, must love that. That sounds like a lot of fun to just watch. I, I, I can think of nothing better than to drive a bus and listen, not watch, but listen to listen. The Troy every day. <laughs> over and over again. Um, oh. So it, it's very large. It looks pretty cool. It's there. Um, but the site itself is 
really interesting. People still work at the site of Troy and it's the place where a lot of people in the ancient world sort of thought these semi-mythical events happened. Like Alexander mm -hmm. the Great went to this place, mm -hmm. Julius Caesar came to Troy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a strange pilgrimage place, even if we don't think all of these things actually happened. Um, yeah. There is um, the mythology of them happening there. Yeah. Um, which is pretty fun. And, and, and also for, for, I feel like for, for anyone who, who listens who's not sort of inundated with the, the hot gossip that is classics in academia, uh, the context of how that site got discovered and who discovered it is, I think, a fun trip. Bombers. Um, yeah. Yes. So the, the lowdown is that a German businessman named Heinrich Schliemann, who had a sort of whirlwind of a life. My favorite fun fact about him is he moved to Indiana to get a divorce because divorce laws were more lenient there. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And goes, he was sort of one of, at the time, in like, when, when was this? Like 18... Uh... Like late, late 19th century, I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah. I want to be totally most, accurate, but... <laughs> yeah, most people sort of were like, Troy's a myth. Like, maybe there's some, you know, grains of historicity to it, but it's like a myth. Let's not take it seriously. And Shalimam was like, no, this happened. It's real. <laughs> yeah, this like all, he's like the, yeah, like there's a movie, he's like a, you know, in the movie where it's like, no, 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 like Atlantis is there. Yep. That was him, but for Troy. <laughs> and lo and behold, he found the thing. He did. Famously. Found the thing. But yeah, and, and he found a site that, that matches the description and, and one of the layers of the city. It's a city that had like multiple builds and rebuilds. Huge, huge occupation history at this place because it's like, it's a great location. You want to be right near the water, but not too close. You're right on the middle of all of these crisscrossing um, trade routes. Um, so they obviously had ties with Greeks, but probably also Hittites. And so there's this big argument about who were the Trojans and mm -hmm. if we can even say something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's for, obvious that at some point in the city's history, it was destroyed. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a burn layer. I think there's a couple destruction layers, but I think Homeric or Troy um, 7 is usually called Homeric Troy. It's like 6 mm -hmm. or 7. But yeah, there's like 10 of them. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's also layers. sort of famously in, in, in Homer, there's not really a big distinction between Trojans and and what Homer calls his word for the Greeks is, is Achaeans or Argives, which is sort of even yeah. a local thing. That's mm -hmm. the thing, like, this movie kind of inserts. It's a bit of, like, a nationalism yeah. in this movie. Oh, we even left out the, the best stories about Heinrich Schliemann. Like, he, like, digs up a mask, and he's like, I am looking at Agamemnon's face. And he, like, finds a <laughs> cup, and he's like, well, this is the yeah. actual cup that Nestor drank out of in wine. Well, because he also, he also dug at Mycenae, where mm -hmm. that, you know, cool lion statue thing is and grave circle a and b are these big really old tombs and they have these golden death masks that look very cool but mm -hmm. still to this day they're like labeled <laughs> or called sort of the mask of agamemnon when they're mm -hmm. not the right time period for what we think would have been a homeric style whatever um mm -hmm. but yeah the some of the jewelry that he did find at the site of Troy, he put on his wife and took a picture and called it like oh. Helen's jewels or something. Oh my uh, God. But then the, she wears that in the movie and I think mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. It's the, like, you can not. go for, for, for listeners when, when, when life is, re returns to normal and we can <laughs> once again travel, you can go to Schliemann's house today. It's now the numismatic museum in Athens. And it's exactly like 
it is exactly the house that it, that dude would have because it's like there's like fanboy yeah yeah there's like the dining room is like styled after like some <laughs> some pompeii room there's like quotes by cicero on the walls and like oh my my, the, 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 for me the like the the chef's kiss is in i guess it would i don't know the, like one of the main dining rooms on the ceiling there are these like frescoes of basically like babies like cherubs like digging up greek sites and there's like a bunch of babies with like a bunch of urns and, and amphora and, and things like that and i was like oh man it's like it's very on the nose. Yeah, I heard that at the birth of like his third child or something, instead of a baptism, he recited the beginning of the Odyssey. Yeah, like at his. I've heard, he made baptism. all of the all of his like staff and servants in his house had to speak Homeric Greek. Wild, yeah, wild. The original fanboy. <laughs> yeah, he truly, he, he truly was was hardened. Sadly, had some questionable archaeological practices and like dynamite. Yes, there's a big trench that he basically dug through the site of Troy and call it Schliemann's Trench. Go see that, too, once, once COVID uh, is not killing us. <laughs> yeah. Another, speaking of, of the, the historical sort of anachronisms, my favorite one that I caught was there's a shot. I don't know if you know what I'm about to say, but it's kind of hilarious. There's a shot when, in the movie, when the Greeks are like first coming to the beach and they have that like obligatory shot of like all the, the, the people in the city like running around and panicking mm -hmm. and like they're doing the like evacuation or whatever. And there's a person leading two animals in like this sort of run. He's got two llamas um, that he's got. It's <laughs> really? like a blank and you'll, yeah, it's a blank and you'll miss it thing. No. It's like right in that sequence, there's a guy with llamas. Um, <laughs> which I, I have like so many questions about. Was it just like, is, was, I don't know if they were filming in Malta or Mexico for this scene. Yeah, neither, maybe. Are, neither of which are where llamas are from, but no. uh, <laughs> but like like where the llamas come from, who was like who was like yeah, get the llamas in the picture. That looks like a uh, <laughs> like where did they come from? Who decided to put the like that looks like an appropriate sort of vaguely exotic vaguely an, like animal thing, thing, even though it's like you know something. Maybe that guy. I like, I have a headcanon that that Trojan actually just went to South America. Um, <laughs> brought uh, brought some llamas home. Yeah, that's so great. I've never noticed that. Oh no, I didn't. I I wouldn't have noticed it either unless I read it in a one of the reviews mentioned that that they got this this reviewer um sort of tore the movie apart. But he's ah. llamas, <laughs> like really getting hung up on the llamas. Um, <laughs> my other sort of like. Like what the heck? Like like what what was going on? That's not that big of a deal, but is the sword of Troy bit? Which is like, did this movie oh. really need a, a magic sword? Like, I hate it. I hate like, that. It, it factors in exactly. It comes in the movie exactly twice. Priam gives Orlando Bloom his sword, and he's like, "Take the sword of Troy, you'll be fine." And then Orlando Bloom like proceeds to get his butt whooped. Yep. And then at the end of the movie, there's the the sort of fan fan service call out to us. You know, yep. us, the us fourteen year old nerds when Aeneas shows up. Um, you know, so yeah. anyone who took Latin could be like, ah, and then you can I know this. And then you can turn to the empty chair next to you because you yeah. you're because you're the user, and and explain who that is. Yeah, he's gonna get his own great adventure. But he gets the like magic. It's a very like King Arthur vibe. That was just like, what yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting that like they have Aeneas show up at all, mm -hmm. um, and that he is like holding his father. But again, yeah. oh, it's, it's, it's like a total I'm the out. person who's like excited by this. <laughs> so context for 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 any non initiates, uh, Aeneas is a sort of hero in the Trojan War who the Latin poet Virgil would write a whole big epic about. Yeah, and he 
is supposedly, according to the myth, he escapes Troy and he goes to a place called Italy and he founds a little city called Rome, or he founds a city that will become Rome. He doesn't found Rome proper, but yeah. But but yeah, they had like he's got his blind dad. Um, I also love the idea that because in like the, the myth, Aeneas is like one of the captains. He's like a noble. He's kind of like an important guy in the Trojan circles. Yeah. I love the idea that that Paris just picks like a random dude. Yeah. And he's just like here, <laughs> some you, poor kid, <laughs> child, take this sword and lead our people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, no. kind of, it's just it was just an odd choice that I because I mean even for the first scene. Priam could have just been like, take my sword, you know? Yeah. That would have worked. I don't know why I had to For be the sure. sword of Troy. Why, I don't know why there always has to be like a magic sword. It's a weird trope that I, yeah. I think we could do away with. I always wonder if that was like trying to set up some sort of sequel. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, because... yeah, I don't know what the idea... Because this movie does not seem to... It felt truly like some one of the right. I don't know if, if David Benioff is like an Aeneid fan or if he like took Latin in school or something like that. Oh, he might have. Yeah, it, it felt like it felt like a weird fan service. But I still smiled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you no, know, because it's like it's it's totally for like you and me yes. as we like watch it. We're like, it's a new song. Yeah, I don't know the the ending does bother me in a few different ways as mm-hmm. I do love the movie so much. And then I am bored after Hector dies, but like they escape, like everybody lives. And mm-hmm. that's kind of disappointing mm-hmm. because going into this movie, you're like, well, you know, the ending kind mm-hmm. of, it's like, even if you don't know the story very well, you know that Troy was a city that was attacked, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's, there's sort of this expectation of like, yeah, it's the city's going to be sacked and we kind of know that mm-hmm. and then everybody lives yeah paris and for, helen get their happy ending yeah um, and Briseis kills agamemnon mm-hmm. which i had forgotten about i'm like oh right I, yeah that, that's like, like a weird retreat like they're trying thing. to like show it like shoe in clytemnestra killing him or something mm-hmm. in a way yeah <laughs> there's know. a lot i mean all of the the sort of it, in, a, in some ways it really sort of with aeneas it kind of cuts itself off from any sort of serialization because and I don't think this movie had was planned for it because like like all the the characters who live in sort of the tradition die in this movie and yeah uh, yeah people who should be living die the Agamemnon and Menelaus sort of and Ajax at least for a little bit yeah. um I, the, I feel bad Ajax they, that's another another sort of like, <laughs> like just kind of like obligatory trope is and Ajax yeah. just becomes the like big angry guy who yeah. also dies on like day one I know. Yes. I like how this movie, like, it takes the <laughs> the 10-year war, and it's like, it basically happened over, like... Over 10 days or, yeah. or something? There was, yeah, they have the 12 days for the funeral games, but outside of that, I feel like it's, like, maybe a three or four-day ordeal. Yeah, um, it's not a long time. So, I've got some other fun facts, unless there's, there's anything else you want to talk about. No, yeah, hit me with the facts. Okay, my favorite fun fact that I've sort of determined about this movie is that this movie is kind of indirectly re- responsible for bringing us the dark knight because what? yeah well it's, it's kind of a bear with me it's a little bit of a rocky road but <laughs> so in the original sort of talks and pre-production there was kind of the, the studio was sort of was there's two projects there's this movie and there was also a batman v superman movie that got shelved and didn't end up manifesting and it was between wolfgang peterson was kind of i think he actually maybe wanted to do batman superman but he ended up getting attached to the movie but the director who was potentially going to direct Troy was Christopher Nolan. Um, Because I don't think he had had his breakout yet. Memento, I don't think it had come out yet. Or maybe it had. I don't remember. I feel like it had. 
so he, he's Christopher Nolan has like yet to really sort of bust out, but then Christopher Nolan moves over to he basically in, in lieu of the Batman v Superman, he gets his own fresh start on the Batman franchise. So Christopher mm. Nolan then brings his Dark Knight like two years later, or not Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and then we get Dark Knight. So there was like there's like an alternate universe somewhere where Troy was directed by Christopher Nolan, which wow. I would really I would be very curious to see. I wonder what that I really don't oh, know. Oh yeah, happened. like what would that have looked like? I don't know. Yeah, it came out in two thousand. Sorry, just. Oh, so so it was postman. So the, so, yeah. so Christopher Nolan had already he had he had gotten some like a little following. bit. Okay, yeah. yeah so but yeah, but Christopher Nolan almost directed this movie. Wow. Yeah, I want to I want to go to that dark timeline, or maybe we're in the dark timeline. I feel like we're in the darkest timeline right now. Oh, I, I can't. Im- I, I have a hard time imagining how this timeline could possibly be any darker. Not to tempt fate. Yeah, um, like knock on wood, please. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, maybe the the. The right, the correct, the good timeline. <laughs> Troy was directed by Where Troy. Football. Troy was like a major motion picture <laughs> that that swept at the Academy Awards. Um, oh, the other uh, another sort of fun fact: the set was like sort of famously kind of very what's the word draining like to be on. So they had they had constant problems with the paparazzi trying to get shots of Brad Pitt, um, <laughs> and to the point where there were like helicopters were like flying over the set that were like Jesus ruining Christ. takes. And like people everywhere Brad Pitt went, he, there was like mobs of people following him. Ugh. And then there was also when they were filming in Mexico, they basically built, I think like the outer wall of Troy was like a prop that they just built like from the ground up. And it was huge. It cost like a million dollars or something like that. And then a hurricane came and like knocked it down. Oh uh, my God. So that, yeah, like this, this movie, I think now uh, it, at the time it had like a crazy bloated budget. Yes, um, for sure. Now it's like, it's like a, it's like a, run-of-the-mill like third tier marvel movie budget but uh, <laughs> but yeah it, at, at the time this was like one of the biggest movies um, i guess because they spend it all they spent all that money on mamas <laughs> yeah any thoughts or should we sign off I'm trying to think if i have any more thoughts i might not i wish there was more andromache in this movie she's yeah. like a f- great female character that i feel like didn't get enough yeah we should we should time. get more if i had to do my all right yeah so maybe that's that's the pitch is is there sort of how would you how would you do it so if i were to sort of redo this movie i would do either one of two things i would either make odysseus or hector the main character and then yes the hector and drama key thing because i think one of the best scenes in, in and i'm going to go out in a hyperbolic and say one of the best moments in greek poetry when hector goes back Ooh. to the city and he goes around he kind of hang, he touches base with, with with a lot of the people back home which is kind of mm-hmm. one of the rare sort of quieter scenes in the Iliad and he runs into Andromache and she's basically like don't go back out to the war because like you'll die and she has her their baby mm-hmm. and the, the Hector goes to like pick up his baby but the baby cries so scared Hector's of his helmet, helmet. Yeah, yeah so Hector has to take his helmet off and pick up his son which they they have almost that scene in this movie yes. right before Hector duels Achilles but but like that's a really like I think like, that's a movie that's a really good scene I agree. Yeah. Or in drama. Yeah. Or alternatively, I would make a Disney main character and set myself up for an Iliad Odyssey back to that. For sure. Yeah. That'd be fun. I think I would include more of like the Greek ensemble cast. Like I want mm-hmm. a Diomedes. Like I want mm-hmm. both Ajaxes hanging mm-hmm. around. I think that sort of and this already has such a huge cast, but that sort of big cast of all these various characters is really fun. <laughs> 
Also, I, I don't think I would do it in movie form. I would do it in miniseries form, HBO special, yes. and Netflix original. Oh, yeah, for sure. That would, that, would, that would lend itself much better to the sort of the form. So in your, in your version, gods or no gods? I, I almost like the no... I, for the, here's the problem. If I, had to, if I were doing an Iliad Odyssey, because for the Iliad, I'd almost want no gods, because that would make it a little easier to write, I think. Yep. But then the Odyssey, I would almost definitely, because like you almost couldn't do the Odyssey without gods. Without gods. It would be tricky. It would be trickier. I think you could do it, but it would be trickier, because they're, they're kind of much more integral to the plot, or like mm-hmm. harder to explain away, I think, yeah. than in the Iliad. Or, I mean, you could, the conceit you might, you could use for this Odyssey movie that I'm, I'm sort of pitching at the moment is that, because in the Odyssey itself, all of the like monster stuff and the, the, the adventures, those are all basically a story that Odysseus tells. There's magical yeah. stuff that happens outside and like all throughout the poem, but he kind of tells that story to, a, to an internal audience. So you could have it like, this is my version of the story, you know, almost like, like, is it true or am I just, you know, spinning a yarn? And then you could kind of have, I mean, you could sort of have your cake and eat it too that way. But. <laughs> that'd be, yeah, that makes sense. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's Odysseus's character. He's going to tell all of these stories. And is he lying? Is he not? And mm-hmm. yeah, that, that would be cool. Yeah. Who would you, if you, would you make any cast changes? Hmm. I want to say yes, but I don't have alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> I only have one and it's, it's for the, because also this is going to be a trilogy. I'm going to do an Iliad Odyssey and Eid. Um, Naturally, because I'm a big power player in Hollywood that way. But I, the only, the only, ca- I asked, I had a myth class that I taught two falls ago, and I, and I sort of just as a thought experiment pitched this question to the students. The best answer I got was was every every uh, character played by Danny DeVito, uh, <laughs> yes. which, which I, I was like, I'd watch that. That would be a, that would that would be a movie that had joy. I would watch that movie. I can imagine it. Could you like? Would you take this sword and this trying time kind of movie? <laughs> you know, accent, but. But he would also just be Frank Reynolds from yes. from Always Sunny, but wearing like, terrible and, wigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in like the the jewels and the whole yep. bit. <laughs> no, but the one sort of the one decision that I sort of came to that I would I would stick to is Aeneas, and I would cast Pedro Pascal as Aeneas. Ooh, um, I like that because I think he's kind of like the right age. I think he's got mm-hmm. the, he's a good actor. He's got the sort of like cachet. He can, he can do an action role. He can do the more serious. I think he'd be like, I think he'd, he'd fit right in that hole. I like um, that. Yeah. All right. Should we sign off? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. This is sort of still in a, an experimental form. So bear with us. Hopefully we'll refine our, our process soon. So next time, uh, wait till next week when we'll be discussing another ancient film that hopefully we also dig. <laughs> Bye. Bye guys. <laughs>